Good morning. Good morning. Those of you who can make the September temperatures here in the desert, so amazing. So um, let me just open a prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, this is going to be an incredible morning. Um, Lord, there's nothing uh, more significant uh, in your death, your burial and resurrection for us is knowing that because you died and were raised on our behalf, that those who have believed into you have the same, the same thing awaiting them, a resurrection, a new body, and an eternity spent with the creator of their souls, now void of chaos and destruction and selfishness and infighting and political intrigue and nation rising against nation and ethnic group rising against ethnic group and no more multi-religions and no, all of that will be quieted because you will be king. And you are king now, but you'll be visible king. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that in fact Jesus is the Lord, exactly what the Apostle Paul knew because he'd seen a resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he himself went from the most violent aggressor in his own words to a faithful servant of the one he met on that road. And so Lord, I just pray for everyone here this morning, Lord, that we would hear your voice that we would be impacted by Jeff's testimony and your word in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was this last week, uh, many of you know, I was traveling through the Northwest. We kind of, it's uh, our ambassador program continues to flourish, even though it's been a challenge at times uh, for our local body, especially over the last two years with COVID, especially during the summer. This is just difficult. I mean, we've talked about this. Uh, but we feel now that this is the safest place for you to be with there's a lot of air and a lot of separation and a lot of work. It's a privilege to be here, quite frankly. Uh, there are churches around the world that will meet under a tree in 120 degree weather with five or six people and maybe not even an entire Bible and they'll just pick around and choose and they'll worship and they'll talk about Jesus. And uh, that is awesome. So yeah, we're not exactly where we want to be, but this is a great way station until we uh, can hear the voice of the Lord and get some direction. But it was really great to be. I know this will be a week delayed, so they won't see it this week. Uh, but it was great. I was in Seattle and spoke to, saw a lot of Church of the Red Door folks there. Uh, went down and Bob Thompson kind of uh, ushered me around, picked me up at the airport there. And then we went down into Oregon, uh, spoke in the evening. Uh, they set up 50 chairs for some people at their club. They had to bring in extra chairs even during covid Spoke to a Lynx Fellowship there in the morning and met with a lot of different people, a lot of people from Church at the Red Door and otherwise, uh, and it was, a, it was a productive time. So uh, thanks for allowing me to do that. This church, you are a sender in this ambassador program because, you know, we lose most of our folks during this time of year, as everybody's aware. Uh, probably 75 or 80% of our folks are not here. Uh, a little bit of a snowbird church, but that's just the nature. So we continue the ambassador program, and it's been exciting. It's been exciting to see uh, those faces, and they're always so appreciative of uh, the church allowing me to, to be up there. And Paul, Mary were up there a little bit earlier meeting with some of our folks, and so we continue to do that. Uh, we were going to go to Chicago, but now we've kind of lost our Chicago folks, so we may never get back up to Chicago. But there's some other places that we go, and Montana and Denver, and everybody said, oh, poor Pastor Jeff. Got to go up to Colorado during the middle of the summer, so... 
Anyway, well, this morning uh, I've been looking forward to, and I'll set it up here in a minute. I want I want you to go to Luke chapter eight because we looked at this two weeks ago when I was here. Uh, I gave you the message to the church, which was sojourn in the land that I show you. Don't take off and run down to Egypt because there's a famine. I likened that a little bit to church at the red door, and not just church at the red door. I'm in talking to some people up in the Northwest, they said, you know, it's our churches are, even though we are fully meeting 40, 50% capacity because of COVID, people are still um, not quite ready to come back. And uh, that is pretty much a consistent thing. Now, there are churches and places where people just kind of go, but I've got to tell you, it's also, it's frightening in many ways because people are, they are turning into spreading events. So we're not out of this. We're not out of the woods yet. But we looked a little bit at the Lord saying, you know, don't go to where it's easy. Stay where I've called you. And if you stay where I call you, we saw a hundredfold, which was the only place in the Old Testament. I want to go ahead and read Luke chapter 8 and read the sower went out to sow story and then Jesus' explanation. And then I'm going to set up the rest of the morning in terms of uh, Jeff's testimony from that. So Luke chapter 8, which is where we've been. And let me just read it. Many of you will know it well, and I'm not going to go into a whole lot of commentary on it other than, again, to set Jeff up. So Luke chapter 8, verse 4, And when a great multitude were coming together, and those from the various cities were journeying to him, that's Jesus, he spoke by way of a parable. And what is a parable? A parable is, again, something that comes alongside something else to give a picture of it. It's difficult to see the spiritual realm because we can't see the spiritual realm. We can't see powers of influence and wickedness and spiritual forces in heavenly places that we're battling against, but we can see, well, we can see a seed and a sower and somebody in an agrarian culture, they would all know it. And those of you who have gardens, you would know it. You go out, you till the ground a little bit, you throw some seed depending on the soil and then the watering and a few other factors with a little bit of sun, which is not hard here in the desert, a little bit of sun. And if you have the right seed for the right climate, well, you're probably going to get something to grow. Well, that's what he says. The sower went out to sow his seed and as he sowed some, well, it fell beside the road and it was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air, they ate it up. Well, What happened next? And the other seed fell on rocky soil. And as soon as it grew up, well, it withered away because it had no moisture. And other seed fell upon the thorns. And the thorns grew up and, well, it choked it out. And other seed fell on good soil. And that's what we talked about two weeks ago. And it grew up and produced a crop hundred times as great. And he said, he said these things. He would call out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, the disciples have no idea why he's doing that, what that means, what the implications of that are. And in Mark chapter 4, he goes into a little bit more detail. Remember, Jesus probably told these parables at various points, not, maybe not just once, but maybe a multiplicity of times with different audiences and different places and times. And in the Mark 4 passage, he said that some produced a hundredfold, but then some produced sixtyfold, and some of the good soil produced 30-fold. Now, they didn't understand what he was talking about, and that becomes apparent here in the next verse. And his disciples began questioning him as to what this meant. <clears throat> and here we go. He said, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. In other words, this is going to unpack for us some mysterious things that we don't know intuitively and that we can't see And that is, in fact, the kingdom of God. Jesus often talked about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven for our 
for our reasons. Those are interchangeable. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. There's a kingdom of authority being established now through me as the king, and there's some things I'm going to have to do, and I'm going to be a suffering servant as well and become the Lamb of God. And But I'm also going to, I'm a king, and I've come as a king, and I'm establishing even now, in fact, the kingdom of heaven is available to those with ears to hear. And he goes on to say, now the parable is this. Excuse me, he says, but to the rest are in parables in order that seeing they may not see and in hearing they may not understand. Now he's quoting, uh, he's quoting the prophets here. Now why would he be saying that? Because some people just don't have ears to hear. They, you, I can be up here, they don't have spiritual ears, they're not prepared to hear this. And it's just, they're going to get some of it, and some of it they won't, and they might be looking at this uh, incredible suit that I'm wearing that I paid $99 for, or they might be looking at my shoes, or looking around, or wondering, or uh, they, they might be here to network and business, and they've got, no, there might be a future client, they're thinking over there, and they're looking at their phone, you know, they, they just, and this goes out, and some people it penetrates so deeply, it has a profound, profound effect on their lives, but some they just can't hear it. It's not the right season. They never will have the ears. It's not uh, whatever it is. But the prophets had all seen this being the case. And he goes on and Jesus says, Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. So this is seed. Okay. So I'm, as I'm doing this, whether you're aware of it or not, I feel like I'm up here. And when I was up in the southwest in Seattle, I, feel, I always feel like a little bit of a Johnny Appleseed. It's this kind of... Yeah, I don't know, just kind of that and, you know, throwing seed everywhere. I don't know why I'm kicking my leg out, but it, I think I'm sure it looks impressive and throwing seed out and, and I don't know what's going to, I don't know where, where it's going to land sometimes and sometimes I'm, well, that was a, that was a, the perfect audience for that. And then, but the question is, what is it going to look like six months, a year, two years, five years, 10 years? What's that seed's effect going to be? I don't know. We're called to throw the seed of the word everywhere we go. In fact, that's going to be the next parable he talks about is light. And you, the light, you, you've got to stand up. You've got to make your presence known, whether you're at a club here in the valley or right in your neighborhood or your school or your business. Be a light. Throw the seed. Don't privatize your faith in Jesus. And he goes on to say, and those beside the road are those who have heard, but when, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. And so, yes, the word is the gospel. It's the salvation message, uh, among many other things that the word is. But immediately the devil, the adversary, comes and steals it away. Now, how does he steal it? He steals it in any number of ways. He could have you distracted. He could have you in idolatry. And as I alluded to, somebody could might be in here today, and they just came here to network, and they needed some new clients, and maybe they're this and that, and they're looking around, and they're, 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 they're looking around. And say it's already stolen. The, the ground is very hard beside the road. There's no good soil there. Well, then what were the next? Verse 13, and those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with great joy, but ultimately they don't have any real root. And they believe for a while, but in a time of temptation, they fall away. So it's good for a while. That's super exciting. I am so thrilled. That was the greatest message. This is, I believe in Jesus. I'm going ahead. This is unbelievable. But then a little bit of temptation comes, and they 
become hardened again and it's just lost and there's no production of fruit at all. Now, if you merge this with Matthew 7, Jesus often talked about, well, you'll know people by their fruit. Whether or not the word has taken hold in your heart will be a byproduct of how your life is animated in many ways, what you're interested in. I never understood if, a, if the word takes really hold of someone's heart, how they're not interested in reading their Bible and learning about what Jesus said. Ostensibly, they're followers, disciples of Jesus, and they're still not interested in what he said. I always wonder, that sounds fascinating to me. It sounds, well, it sounds incongruous to me. I don't understand how those things can be. I know when I first heard the word, man, all I did, I didn't even want to go to class. I didn't want to go to class anyway, but I was at Rice University. But I just stay home some days and just read the Bible all day long. And that's really been the case for me for, you know, almost 40 years. I just can't get enough of it because I, I'm a follower and I hope that it's found good soil. And our, our desire is to be hundredfold. That's the passion. And then he goes on and he says, and then rocky soil, when they hear, they receive it. No firm root. And then verse 14, the seed which fell among the thorns. Well, those are the ones, when they hear it, they go their way. And but then they're choked with the worries of this life and riches and pleasures. And, well, it just brings no fruit to maturity. And the seed and the good soil, these are the ones that have heard the word in an honest and a good heart. And they hold it fast and they bear fruit with perseverance. Again, coupling this with the Mark 4 dialogue that Jesus has, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. Well, I thought we were talking about death this morning. Well, we are. We're about to. Um, I, when I read this parable, and I have read it thousands of times, taught through it thousands of times, uh, I think about it often. Uh, it's been a motivating factor in my life for many, many years now. Lord, I want to be fruitful Ultimately, what I'm thinking about, whether I'm thinking about it or not, what I'm, the foundation is, is that I'm not going to last forever. And that someday I will stand before Jesus and I will give an account for my life that was lived in the flesh. Now, believing into him, I'm saved. We know that. I'm not, this is not a function of salvation. It's a free gift. It's done through faith. It's, uh, it's, he did it on the cross. There's n I can't buy my salvation, but I can work towards being fruitful and it is work and for those of you who are actively engaged in working out your salvation what's already occurred with fear and trembling you know exactly what that is and there's a lot of temptation and a lot of challenge and and it just gets really hard sometimes and you just want to throw in the towel and just give up and that's a, essentially what I looked at too or take an easier path and the Lord has a specific calling for you and a specific lane for you to run in and boy, we like to deviate, and we like to go up and sit in stands, and we like to all kinds of things, anything but run in our lane, because running in your lane will present challenges. Not only for Jesus, and it clearly did. Do you think it, his lane, the, the very purpose for which he came, was challenged? Of course it was. People hated him, and they mocked him, and they said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. For you to, we are swimming against the grain in our culture today. I don't know if you're aware of that, but I, I, I feel like the media and just the world is just marginalized. Every day I feel a little bit more marginalized, a little bit more pushed to the side. I want to kind of acquiesce with the spirit of the age, and yet I know the word too strongly, and it's very difficult not to give in to the persuasions and the influence because why? Well, I like to be liked. I like people to go, oh, there's a good guy, and I like people going, there's that 
crazy, raving, lunatic, idiot, evangelical, crazy person who's destroying our country. I mean, this happened in Rome. They eventually blamed the Christians on the very burning of Rome. And maybe that will be the case at some point in, either in my generation or in future generations. But we feel increasingly marginalized, and it's hard. But I read this, and I think about my death, and I say, I want to be fruitful. I want to be fritter I believe I want to be fruitful. I don't want to fritter away my life. Well, many of you know that my ministry partner for the last 20 years, essentially, Jeff Hopper, for those of you who get the daily devotional, and some of you know, I'm still president and CEO of this organization of Call Links. We have 300-some-odd fellowships at country clubs and golf communities. It's through the platform of golf around the country. The vision is eventually 1,000. Couldn't it? Wouldn't it be amazing? We have a bunch right here in the desert. Many of you are recipients, and you're a byproduct of some kind of group that met at your club. Maybe you came to Jesus. Maybe you were moved in your spirit. Maybe you were more discipled because of these groups or whatever. But Jeff has been the real core of that. I'm kind of the field guy and teacher guy a little bit, but he's the home office guy. And the daily devotional has gone out for almost 20 years. He's been here 21 years, five days a week for year after year after year and magazine and backroom stuff and everything. And his name is Jeff, and my name's Jeff, and his wife is Laura, and my wife is Laura. And our parents have been married in the same year, and they've been married the exact same length of time. They have three boys. We have three girls. And then it stops because he and I are about as different as you could possibly be, which is what makes our marriage, ministerial marriage work for all these years. He's a detailed guy. He's a He's, boy, he's so good. Everything that I'm bad at, he's good at. And I don't know if I'm good at anything, but I balance him a little bit as well. And, and, and five and a half years ago, we found out that he had cancer. And so I will get through this. And, you know, that second song, you know, Jesus is greater than cancer. And that's absolutely, absolutely true. But, and, but we all die of something, and eventually we die. Untimely. And I have some friends here this morning that have lost a daughter and we know the SEALs lost their daughter. And we've lost a lot of kids. Many of you, this congregation alone through suicide and other things over this last three or four or five years has been brutal. And I just, I, we hate death and cancer. I feel, I, it seems like everybody I know has cancer. I met a sweet man in Seattle and spent the day with him. And, and he's had 11 surgeries. And he's, they gave him just a few months to live 25 years ago. And the Lord's kept him around. And I said, well, tell me about the experience. And he was just essentially saying it's been the greatest experience of my life. And I'm thinking, what? Humiliating some of the things he's had to go through. He says, I've come to love Jesus through the process. And then God takes people. He took Stephen, the first stoning of the Christian martyr. How old was Stephen? I don't know. But I, so I'm always picturing him being in his 30s or something, maybe. I I don't think he was 80 or anything. I don't know how old Stephen was. An early figure of the church, and, and he was stoned to death. And I, I don't understand death. I can't, I don't understand. But I do understand we've all been given a number of days, and we can't lengthen them, we can't shorten them. But it's just the fact. God, there's a number of days written in our book. And Jeff is now coming to grips because it's, we got better, and it was all the cancer was gone, and then it came back. And many of you have experienced that, or you know people, or you're maybe somebody right here in your family, your spouse, or a close friend. And it just it seems like it's all around us. I hate cancer. I hate it. And we got very dire news about a month ago. CT scan came come back. He's been through chemo and radiation, everything else, and. 
it all came back. So uh, he was learning some things, and he's very courageous, much more courageous than me. And I had gone through some physical things this last five years, as many of you know. And we were kind of talking, and, and, uh, and, I, and I asked him a question, are you excited? He said, I've never been asked that question, but it's a great, it's a great question. I said, man, you should really put some of this down. And his pastor in Fresno asked him if he would say, he can't leave the house. So I said, talk to us about what you're learning about death. And this is what he produced for his church and for us. I hope it's impactful for you. And then I'll come up and make a few closing comments. Well, hi there. My name is Jeff, if you don't know me. Um, I'm sitting in my house and I'm about to do something that I've never done before. And that is to talk about um, dying. I, I've actually talked about this before, but I've never talked about it before as me and about me dying because that's what the doctors have told me is happening to me. Um, if you don't know my story, um, I'm sharing it with a couple of audiences today. My home church in Fresno, California, uh, Harvest Church here in Fresno and it's a dear body of believers that I've been able to walk with over the last 10 years and, and grow together with. And then also, some of you will be watching this because of your connection to me through Lynx Players, which is the ministry I'm involved with pretty much every day, where we basically put Bible studies where people play golf, and we encourage them through some resources that we provide. About five and a half years ago, nearly six now, um, I discovered that my Adam's apple was out of whack and something was causing that to happen. So I made an appointment with the doctor and they took some pictures and they discovered um, what was a question at first, but eventually discovered a tumor that was literally this big that was uh, in, entrenched in my throat or my neck my my mediastinum that's my upper chest and um, it was between my my trachea and my esophagus it was pushing my trachea to the side which is why my Adam's apple uh, was out of whack it had shut off a jugular vein it was wrapped around a carotid artery and it was a mess and uh, fortunately um, I was um, by God's care directed to a couple of brilliant surgeons at Stanford University, um, Dr. Chris Olsinger, Dr. Mark Berry. And um, in 2016, uh, that's right, 2016, I um, went through some chemo and some radiation to prepare for a couple of radical surgeries that were successfully performed. Um, kept most things intact. I did lose nerves that control one of my vocal cords, which is why my voice is quiet and, and those sorts of things. And so if you're having to listen a little extra carefully, I apologize. But um, over the course of the next five years leading to this summer, uh, there was some good cancer-free years, but there was another surgery that needed to happen. Uh, to get the tumor out again as it started to resurface and grow next to my heart. Um, in 2019, um, 
I began some immunotherapy that was unsuccessful. And then March 2020, right about when COVID kicked in, I um, began chemotherapy. And I continued that chemotherapy uh, through March of 2021. And that chemotherapy, which happened once a month, um, kept my cancer pretty much at bay. Um, but then it stopped working. And since March of this year, um, my doctors have tried some other things, but we have not been able to find anything to arrest the cancer. And uh, it's been growing pretty much unabated since then. And uh, it's about the beginning of the summer, I started to experience some symptoms of breathlessness and things that were a challenge whenever I would exert myself. Um, and then over the course of the last really four to six weeks, uh, the cancer has really begun to fill my lungs and spread to other parts of my body. It's September 2nd now, uh, 2021. And, um, yesterday hospice came to my home and we began to prepare for, uh, the end of my life. Um, Pastor Ben at Harvest Fresno has asked me just to share some of these things and what God is doing in my life and what God has revealed to me in this time. <clears throat> One of the things that has been true throughout is that there have been many of you and certainly Pastor Ben and the other elders at our church praying specifically for a full miracle, uh, an eradication of every last cancer cell in my body. And uh, we can keep praying for that miracle, even as hospice has come, um, because God can do that right to the end. But I, I have to be careful because I see in Scripture more than one way that death comes. Um, death comes rapidly. Uh, the earth opens up and swallows people uh, because of their sin, which is radical, of course, in our minds, but it's right there on the pages of Scripture for us. There are men who are felled by sword in battle in a moment, and suddenly there's a widow at home um, with no preparation um, other than knowing uh, the possibilities, possible consequences of war, especially in that time. So we see sudden death, no chance to pray for a miracle, um, and yet if those people are walking with God, then uh, they go right from here um, into the presence of the Lord. And we also see something else, and that is uh, those who prepared. So it's kind of old school, um, probably won't have slides on the screen for you to follow along. Um, I am going to read from my phone because I can see better. But I'm, I'm starting in Genesis 49 and uh, with the death of Jacob. So if you have your Bible, Genesis 49, verse 29, says this, Then Jacob gave them these instructions. I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite the cave in the field of Machpelah, near Mamre in Canaan, which Abraham bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. 
There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob had finished giving these instructions to his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. This is kind of an amazing um, little story because it reminds us that not only is there more than one way to die, there's more than one way to prepare for death and to handle sickness. So we can pray for a miracle, but at the same time, we have responsibility, and certainly as those who have households, we have a responsibility to prepare to die and to not leave our families in the lurch because we were certain a miracle would happen right to the very end. Miracles are common in Scripture, particularly in the New Testament, the kind of miracles that people might pray for healing and restoration and uh, life. We don't see that as often in the Old Testament, although we have the example of Hezekiah, who was given an extra 15 years of his life because he pleaded with the Lord. So we plead with the Lord, and yet we prepare. We prepare for the sake of our loved ones and our household, and we do those things simultaneously. And that's where I am right now. So in the last few days, as we've made it known that um, this has come upon us, this nearness of death is here, um, we've been contacted by many people. And some of them say, I'm praying for the miracle. I'm praying for the miracle. And we so appreciate your prayers for the miracle. And others have said, you're going to heaven. And it's so good to see you prepare for that and to know what's coming. And so we prepare for that and we look to what's coming because scripture teaches us both things. And so we do both things. The truth of the matter is, our world is no different than the ancients. People still die suddenly. It's happened right in front of us over the course of the last week. Uh, young men, many of them just 20 years old, lost in Afghanistan in a moment's blast. Young men flying a Navy helicopter off San Diego go down and are lost in a moment's notice. And there's tears all around. Mom and dad and brothers and sisters, young wives left as young widows. Um, it still happens so suddenly. Hurricane in New Orleans, flooding in New York and the Northeast, and people are lost in a moment. And uh, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's real for us. But the other thing that's true for us in our time that is rather unique compared to generations before us is that we are given hard decisions to make. We're told, well, we can try this one more treatment or this other way of getting you to health. We can try it. And there's alternative drugs and there's essential oils and there's all of these opportunities. Makes it hard. Makes it really, really hard. Because until the middle of the last century, basically what happened was people were told they were going to die 
and they prepared to die. And now, partly because it's available, and partly because those who are not in the Lord are certain that death is the very worst thing that can happen to them, they scramble for every option possible, rather than saying, I'm in the arms of Jesus, and he'll take care of me. And that's what we keep reminding ourselves of in our home, that we're in the arms of Jesus, and we're taken care of. From there, I want to then move to another passage that's really important, and that passage is in the New Testament this time. It's in the letter of Paul to the Philippians, chapter 1. So again, if you have your Bible and you want to turn there, I happen to be reading from the New International Version, which is what I really grew up with and what is closest to my heart. But it'll be similar to the ESV or the NLT or whatever else you're using. Paul is in prison in Rome. He's been put there in chains like others who are spreading the gospel of Jesus, which is the good news that Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood as an atonement for our sin, as a covering for our sins, which we cannot do ourselves. And then he rose from the dead and he conquered sin and death. And that's so important to what Paul writes here. <clears throat> it is true that both of you, those at Harvest and those at Lynx Players, have been taught uh, <clears throat> something that we adopted a, a little while ago called the Forward Gospel. I can't, God can. There's a lot of fleshing out that can be done from those four words. But the bottom line is, there's no way I can rescue myself. My body will fade and die. It's just a tent, Paul writes. A tent that's just going to be wiped out in any sort of stress. And so I can't save myself physically. And I cannot save myself spiritually because of sin. I am a sinner. You are a sinner. We do things that disregard, disrespect, dishonor the uh, commands, the instructions, the teaching of the Lord and of Jesus as he walked the earth. And so we, we look at those things, we say, now nah, maybe tomorrow I'll do that instead of today. And we just can't save ourselves because that sin is buried in us and God is perfect. And a sinful person cannot enter the presence of a perfect God. But Christ made a way. I can't, God can. Christ made a way. And uh, by his atoning blood, I can go to heaven. I'll tell you what, I got a bear hug around that guy from the back because I need him to carry me all the way there. And that's what Paul's about to say. He's in chains. He may be close to death. They could walk him out of his cell any day and take him to his execution. And that's eventually what happened as far as we know. And so Paul is writing as one who lives day to day uh, where I am now. And uh, he writes about death and life. Two big things. He says... Beginning in verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way 
be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, I have to laugh at that because my body's a wreck. I saw the pictures last week. I know where the cancer is, and I know what it's trying to do to me. So to say that my body would be, that Christ could be exalted in my body, that's all him. Because my body's got nothing uh, that's exalting the Lord right now. Um, Mostly it's trying to cause me pain and difficulty and those sorts of things. And so I bark at my body just like it barks at me. And uh, I can't imagine Christ being exalted in it. But he is somehow. And uh, how's how's the somehow? He's strong. He's totally strong. And he totally reveals himself um, in ways that we can't do on his behalf. So he's exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul's focus is twofold, life and death. And that leads to verse 21. And in verse 21, Philippians 1.21, he says, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. It's a simple verse. You've probably heard it often. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And I'm going to tell you the truth, especially if you're a young person watching. There were more than years. There were literally decades in my life where I could not accept the second half of that verse. I was too young. I was too healthy. I was too active. I was too energetic. There was no way that you were going to make me say to die is gain. And so what I did was tell myself I have to take up the first half of the verse to the hilt, to the best of my ability, to my... um, the essential focus in life is to live is Christ. And so <clears throat> that sinner was still in me. My kids will tell you. My wife will tell you. My friends will tell you. I made mistakes along the way. I said the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong way. Um, for somebody who speaks a lot, I could butcher my speech pretty good. And I did at times. And I hurt people uh, even though Somehow I was in Christ, and I was trying to live is Christ. That's what I was trying to do. But Christ gifted me. Um, the Holy Spirit guided me, and uh, I had opportunities in the sports ministry I'm involved with. I have opportunities to pastor a church. Uh, it really started when Laura and I were camp counselors at a Christian camp for a number of summers. The um, opportunity to testify, to speak, to witness on behalf of Jesus. Um, I told, I remember giving my testimony at camp several times. And what I said was, because I grew up in the faith, I walked an aisle at five years old, and I grew up in the church. Uh, I'm a church man, I guess you could say, uh, there most every Sunday of my life until COVID came and we were restricted more. But uh, it would be 50 weeks a year sometimes 
for sure. I said, you know, I haven't had all the bad experiences. I don't have a drug addict story or a prison story or uh, a hellish life story. I didn't have any of that. But Christ, but God gave me salvation in Christ. And he didn't owe me anything else. I mean, what else could he owe me, right? What else could he owe you? If he saved you unto eternal life, there's nothing else he can give you that matches that. And yet he's done so. He's given me a wife of 34 years. He's given me three sons and two daughters-in-law. Um, he's given me dear, dear friends uh, through many endeavors. Uh, I taught school for a long time, 14 years. I have former students that I am able to stay in touch with and enjoy conversation with. I have um, friends from kind of all walks of life leading all the way back to grade school. I was in an amazing grade school class um, that many of us have stayed in conversation all these years. And so I've been given all these wonderful things. Very little need to worry about the essentials of life. And that's my testimony that God has given me these things in addition to the one thing I really needed. I'm a blessed, blessed man in that way. So to live for Christ was to say, you've given me all this. What can I give to you? So I got my time and my talent and my treasures, as they say, and um, Laura and I have been able to be involved in a lot of ministries, directly, indirectly. Here's a word you don't hear very often, so I'm going to say it because I can say anything right about now. You cannot imagine the blessing of financially supporting people who are doing the work of the Lord. That may be your church, maybe missionary friends, maybe... Um, ministries that are involved in food distribution or things like that, go for it. You will not miss one dollar when you give generously like we're encouraged to do in Scripture. But I've come to a point in my life now where I can say, to die is gain. Those are big words. To die is gain. But here's the thing, when you know your body is crumbling, and it's crumbling for me at age 57, um, I have healthy parents who are still making their way, uh, doing, doing active things all the time. I have friends who are in their 90s doing the same thing, and, uh, you know, they feel it too even because they're that much closer. They've seen there's so much back compared to what's forward. And so they've started to say, I can see this. To die is gain. I had a dear friend in his 90s pass away about a year or so ago. All he wanted to talk about for the last year or so of his life was heaven. 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 
because heaven is where everything is going. And when you know heaven, and when you know that Christ is carrying you into that kind of eternity, today you will be with me in paradise, you can say, to die is gain. It's the first time I've ever been able to really say it with conviction, with celebration, uh, with delight. And I have to tell you, it hurts. It hurts to know that my loved ones um, will have pain in the weeks and months ahead. Um, They know where I'm going. They understand. But we are people to grieve. We're made to grieve and have emotions, and we can't just stuff it all there uh, in a corner and say, well, God's got this. Because God made us as emotive beings, and we're going to hurt. And in our hurt, we're going to grow. Suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character, these these things that set us up um, as human beings come through pain, come through suffering. So those hours will be there. They'll be there for your loved ones when it's your time. And you just have to trust the Lord like you've done with everything else, that he will be there with them and that he will provide those who can support them and encourage them as they move forward. I have one more passage I want to share with you. It's one that the Lord has um, kind of highlighted for me just in recent days. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So again, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The final verses, 16, 17, and 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Right to the end. Even though we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I have to laugh, I guess you could say, a wry laugh about light and momentary afflictions because some of the things that I've dealt with and I'm dealing with now are not things I'd call light. Some of you have dealt with chronic pain for so much of your lives. I have, even in my cancer, when people say, man, that has to be so hard, I reflect on burn victims. I reflect on those who have dealt with real chronic things Um, deteriorating diseases 
that just strip you of strength and and eventually sometimes like Alzheimer's mental capacity. These are very, very difficult things. They're not light. They're not momentary. But relative to what is unseen, what is eternal, they are light and they are momentary. And Christ will take away all of that pain and all of that suffering when we join him in paradise. I have often been concerned that I have been a Gehazi. If you don't know who Gehazi is, he was the attendant to the prophet Elisha. There's a famous time when they are, they appear to be hemmed in by the enemy. And the army of the Lord shows up. It's an invisible army. And Gehazi cannot see it. He cannot see those horses and riders. But Elijah says, Behold the armies of the Lord. He sees the unseen. My life has been often a fight to see the unseen. That's what faith is a lot of times. And you may feel the same way. You may feel like, man, I just don't know. I see it on paper. I hear it preached. Uh, We talk about it in my Bible study. But I can't see it. I can't put my fingers on it. I can't hold it. It's not tangible. It's not supposed to be tangible. It's um, it's supposed to be the way God works. And the way God works is not always to put things before our physical eyes, but to put them before our spiritual eyes and in our heart. I know this to be true. Everything that I read about Jesus Christ that's what I know to be true. I've said it through the years. I remember a couple years ago coming up uh, behind one of the young men in our church who, teenage young man, who I knew was like a lot of teenagers, testing um, his faith and what he believed, whether the things he heard and read were real. It was Christmas time. A lot of people go to church at Christmas time just to hear the old, old story. It's a baby story. It's a life story, not a death story like Easter. But I walked up behind him and I said, you know, it's all true. Because that's what I had been feeling for weeks leading up to that Christmas. We live in a time when people question everything. That's not good. Because it means they're questioning the basics of what we believe. 
that Jesus Christ came in the flesh because he loved us to give his life for us that we might not perish but have eternal life. And if I question that, I have no eternal hope. Therefore, we do not lose heart, Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Therefore, we do not lose heart because what's going on right now when hospice walks in your door, when the man shows up a few hours later with oxygen, when you work with your wife and your child and your parents on things like um, burial plans, it's easy to lose heart. But we have something so much bigger than that. We have eternity promised, eternity sealed by the blood of Christ. And we've been asked to do one thing. Believe it. Believe that it's all true. Believe that it's all real. To know that we can't. But there is a Savior who can And when we, even loaded with our light and momentary afflictions, throw ourselves entirely on Him, He will carry us wherever He is going. To paradise. To an eternal reign. At the right hand of the Father. That's where our Savior is. And when we cling to Him, that's where we will be. I don't know when you watch this. It's going to go up on YouTube. You can watch it 10 years from now, I guess. I just pray that it takes root in you, if it needs to, if this is not a root or a foundation you yet have. That can happen Long after I'm gone, my prayer will linger before the throne until every person who's supposed to respond in faith responds in faith. I'm a witness. That's all I am. But I bear witness to the greatest truth ever known. So, what is Church at the Red Door? I mean, it's every church has to have a, a driving vision. Uh, I would just say two things. We're many things. Two things. We're a community that comes together around the confession that Jeff just gave. It's all Christ. Nothing we can do. But we can live as Christ. And we are a community that's driven by living in an unseen realm. So you go, you go out during the week, outside some private time and some fellowship that you may have or a fellowship group you have, and you're just, you're just inundated with the seen realm. 
and politics and financial problems and disasters and COVID and blah, 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 blah. It just goes. And then we come in here and say there is an unseen realm. And it's eternal. It's more real than what we can see. In fact, I think much of the what we see is we learn is just so, not only is it not dependable, it's not even really a representation of reality. And so we, we are part of that community. And secondly, we're a community that does not fear death. Did you sense death in, in, in Jeff? Fear? Did you sense fear in Jeff? Yeah, grief, yes. We've been grieving. We had a staff he was supposed to, he and Laura were going to come to the staff meeting that we had three or four weeks ago in Utah, and he couldn't make it, and we had a big Zoom call with uh, some of our area directors and region directors, and everybody cried and wept. There's grief, but there's no fear. Now, let me tell you something. That's worth getting up on a Sunday morning and coming to a theater, isn't it? And being part of a family who shares the knowledge of Christ, the wisdom of Christ. And I'll close with this. You know, Jesus said, well, do you want to quit following me as well in John chapter 6? And they made a very profound statement, where would we go? What's the alternative to that? You know, pleasures and this and that momentary and then experience light and momentary affliction and death and everything else and I have, have no answer for it. It's just, just Pollyannish thinking. Well, part of what we learned this morning is that you can't dabble in being good soil. You can't dabble in it. You won't produce. You'll, you'll, other things will choke it out. It'll be stolen from you. You cannot dabble in following Jesus. It starts with the simplicity of belief and, being in, and moving into a family, but you can't dabble in it. You've got to go all in, and you have to live as Christ and then you can have that kind of confidence. That's essentially what I want to say this morning. If you want to have that kind of courage and that kind of confidence and that kind of fearlessness that you saw in Jeff, you can't dabble in it because I've been with a lot of, a lot of bedsides and people who have dabbled in it are still, still terrified, fearful, clinging to life. Even they may have gone to church for 50 years. They've been dabblers, don't dabble. We're not a church who promotes dabbling. We want to live as Christ. Maybe you're here this morning or watching and, and you just say, you know, I've dabbled my whole life and I'm tired of dabbling. I want to, and you know, maybe you gave your life to Jesus, but you can't, you wouldn't define your life as one is, that is to live as Christ. And, and deep down you go, I really haven't defined my life to live as Christ. I've been a dabbler. Well, don't be a dabbler. God loves you. He's ready to open arm, open arm you. Don't dabble. Jump in, both feet. Persecutions, temptations, light and momentary affliction, all of that is headed your way. But guess what? All of that will head your way if you dabble as well. So you might as well enter the stream of those men and women who have that kind of courage. Why? Because they didn't dabble and they lived, well, they lived as Christ, to live as Christ. And that's what I want to define our community. Allow me to pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. We thank you for Jeff. We pray for Jeff and Laura and Ken and Adele as parents and all the kids and daughters-in-law and, and our staff and all the 
boy, there's just so many people that have been affected by Jeff's life. And so, Lord, we, we pray for Jeff, but actually he's really close to being in a, just a fantastic, glorious place. In fact, the very place he's been preparing for decades. Lord, but I do pray for those that are left behind, all of us, and especially his wife, Laura, and family. And Lord, comfort them and solidify their knowledge that they are, in fact, in very good hands in you. Lord, if there's anybody here or watching that just says, you know, I'm tired of being a dabbler, you just tell the Lord right now, Lord, I've dabbled in you, and I don't want to do that anymore. I want to make my life, Lord, I want good soil. Let this word this morning find good soil. This testimony find good soil and let it, let it bear fruit. Or maybe you've not even believed and somehow this morning you believe in Jesus and just tell him, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm, a, I'm like the thief on the cross. We deserve what we're getting and I deserve eternal separation. But Lord, if I understand the story right, you died and to take my place and then I can be part of the family simply by believing into you. And just tell him, forgive me of my sins, and I believe into you, and I choose to follow you for the rest of my life and become a disciple. It's complex. You'll spend the rest of your life figuring out what that statement you just made was, but it's very simple to enter. It's We enter with the faith of a child. So, Lord, I thank you for this morning. I pray, Lord, this reverberates through our community. I pray that this, is a, that this testimony will be repeated in the hearts and the lives and the minds of everybody in here. When they get to the end of their life, whether it be sudden or drawn out, I lived as Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Glad you were here this morning. Uh, We will see you, God willing, next week.